following audio is from a sermon series entitled Practicing the Way of Jesus, a study on the Sermon on the Mount. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. From Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. I think I know what you're thinking as, uh, as Carrie was reading our scripture for this morning, right? On the topic of generosity, you're probably sitting there thinking like, oh yeah, it's the end of the year, to be expected here. He's gonna round out the year with this, this sermon on giving, right? You know, the, the year-end push, but I assure you this was not intentional. Uh, th- that's not how I planned it as we laid out this sermon series. Um, we've been going line by line, section by section through Matthew chapters five and six. Actually, we were just on the verge of entering into chapter six this week. For the last several months, we're going passage by passage, and we just happened to land on this text at the end of the year, and I'm sure you're thinking, yeah, right, this can't be that. But if you were to just select at random any of Jesus' teachings and have me preach on that, there is a one in four chance that the subject matter would be related to money. Jesus talked about money a lot. And aside from speaking about the kingdom of heaven, money is the topic that Jesus spoke about the most. Now this passage on generosity happens to be nestled inside of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' longest discourse that we have about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, He's talking about the arrival of the kingdom of heaven, the invitation, who's invited to participate in the kingdom of heaven, how to live this kingdom life here and now, how to live righteously in an unrighteous world until the kingdom of heaven in its fullness arrives. Now, part of Jesus' vision for the kingdom life here and now, right, his vision for true righteousness includes generosity. And this really isn't a shocker for most of us. If, you, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, right, Jesus' words are, it is better to give than it is to receive. So it would make sense that Jesus values generosity. This is part of kingdom life now. But the shocker of what Jesus has to say about, about generosity is that stinginess isn't the only way to fail at generosity. Having closed hands around your, your time, your money, your resources, your energy, isn't the only way to fail at generosity. In fact, you might be living what seems like a generous life. You might be blessing people, giving, but you're doing it wrong. And Jesus wants to invite us into a more satisfying way of practicing generosity and, and lead us into the manifestation of true righteousness, how to live a truly righteous life that leads to blessing. In fact, that's, that's what, that's maybe the, the most 
um, repeated word, it is the most repeated word throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount so far is blessed are those, right, the, the way of blessing. And so Jesus wants to invite us into this way of blessing of the generous life. And to, to start us out, Jesus gives us a warning, right? Jesus teaches, his instruction here in chapter six begins with a warning. He says, beware. So in your mind, there should be sirens, warning lights flashing here. Beware. Well, what, what do we need to beware of? Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, is Jesus saying to keep your faith to yourself? Like when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other men. Is that what he's saying? Like to keep this Jesus stuff, keep discipleship on the down low, keep it under the radar and just sort of sail through doing your thing. Well, didn't, if you have any sort of recall from chapter five, you might remember when Jesus said, let your light shine before all men so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, right? Jesus says, what good is a lamp when it's hidden under a, a, a blanket? And he says, well, let, let it shine. Let your light shine. So see, the, we, we see here when we come to chapter six and, and knowing what we know about chapter five, there seems to be a contradiction here. That is, unless we start really digging here to see what Jesus says, because here in Matthew 5, he does say, let your light shine before all men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is, in fact, calling his disciples to live a publicly righteous life, a way that is uplight, uh, upright, a way that, that is distinct from the culture that surrounds us. He's calling his disciples to live in a kingdom-oriented way, but the reason we shine, the reason why our light is to shine is not to draw attention to ourselves, but rather to draw attention to God, that his glory would find the spotlight. That's what Jesus is telling us. And, and here the caution of chapter six is that he's warning us to not steal the spotlight away from God. Right, if we are to shine our light before our men that they may see our good works and give glory to God who is in heaven, what he's warning us is to shine our light in a way that draws attention to ourselves, where we rob God from the spotlight. Now this is easy to do. When we start living in an upright way, like it's like, you know, things are going all right for us, right? We, we're, we've entered the blessed life. Things are clicking along fine, right? And, and our tendency in this is to start forgetting about the reality that God brought us to this place. We start to forget about God and what he's done for us to bring us to this place and we start feeling ourselves, right? We say, yeah, I might not be perfect, but I'm doing some things right. I, I got some stuff going for me. And we start to take the credit for, for how we live our lives, how it's going well, and we broadcast how great we are. We can't help it, right? There's something just good about me. Now, this is precisely what's happening among the Pharisees and the scribes. And Jesus wants to identify them and, and sort of make this contrast between what it looks like to live a, a truly righteous life and this false, hypocritical veneer of righteousness that the, the religious elite of the day are living. So Jesus is pointing out the Pharisees and the scribes and he uses this pejorative pseudonym for them. 
right? And we know that, that he's talking about the Pharisees and scribes here when he uses the word hypocrites because later on in Matthew's gospel, he ties those two together. The Pharisees and the scribes, a religious elite. He's saying they are hypocrites. Now, this, this, this word hypocrite, we're used to it, all right? We think of it, usually it's like somebody who says one thing and does another, but, but the origins of this term are, are linked to um, the stage, theater, right? Hypocrites were the ones who wore a mask, that it was an act. They, they put forward this front, and so they had this sort of, this, um, they were playing a role, and it wasn't necessarily genuine. And Jesus is calling them out because their lives, they're acting as if they're just living on stage. They have a stage righteousness, right? They, they put an act in front of people, right? This is how good I am, and they want people to view them in this way. But really, Jesus is saying, hey, it, it's a phony here. This is not actual, true, genuine righteousness. It's all an act. And over the next 18 verses here in Matthew chapter six, we see that Jesus is setting this sharp contrast between this two, these two groups of people, between the hypocrites, the people who are, are um, counterfeits, people who are have a righteousness that is self-generated, that's self-focused, that's really about them and the attention being drawn to them and people, others, who have a genuine, God-centered, true righteousness, right? People who are real kingdom people. And he, he, he draws the contrast between the two of them when he says this, and we see this phrase repeated, we'll see it repeated a few times here in chapter six, when he says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give to the needy, don't be like these people. And while there are sharp distinctions between these two types of people, between the hypocritical and the truly righteous, there's a lot of times where it's hard to tell them apart because as there are sharp distinctions, there's actually a lot of shared behavior we see, that, that, that both groups of people are praying, both groups of people are fasting, both groups of people are giving to the needy. In verse two and through four, Jesus is showing here, showing us what really sets them apart, and he's going to show us that it's all about motive, it's all about intentions, like why they do these certain things. Jonathan Pennington, on his book about the kingdom, he, he, he identifies this here as Jesus shows us in, in Matthew or chapter six, verses two through four, where he says, the kingdom life is a matter of internal motives, not just external actions. It's a matter of the whole person. It's about virtue, right? Pennington is showing us here what Jesus is concerned about. It's not just going through the motion, jumping through the hoops, but actually the heart level, why you do what you do. And what he's showing us here, Jesus is actually through the next 18 verses is showing that you can do the right things. You can do what seems godly and righteous for the wrong reasons. And in doing though, you're, you're not portraying true virtue, you're, you're portraying self-righteousness. Now, the, the first example that Jesus digs into and hones in on here is, is the topic of generosity. Now, if you go through the Old Testament and you follow this, this uh, theme of generosity, we can see very clearly that God is a generous God. He, he has an intent to bless the world and the, those that he blessed to be a blessing to the nations. This is embedded in the genetic code of the people of Israel. And God commands his people to be generous. Now, we see this when it comes to like tithes and offerings in the sanctuary, right, giving back to God. But there's another avenue of generosity that God explores that, that this is specifically focusing on, and that is to be generous towards those who are needy, 
people who are, are lacking resources. Now there's, there wasn't a, a there, wasn't welfare, there was not a welfare system set up in ancient Israel. There was not a, a state aid fund set aside for those who were needy. It was commanded by God for individuals, for families, to be aware of their surroundings, the aware of the people who are around them, and help contribute to the needs of those around them. So in a sense, if you were poor and vulnerable, you relied on the generosity of the people in your community, not the state, to step in and make sure. And so God had designed, he, he had wired it into the rhythms, to the DNA, to the patterns, to the, to the um, customs of the people of Israel to, to be mindful of these people who are needy. And so we have things like the year of Jubilee, the seventh year, where, where people would plant their fields and leave it. They wouldn't harvest it. They would let people come in behind them, the poor, the needy, people who didn't have their own crops to harvest, to take an offering, or to take, to take and to use what they needed. We see the act of, of giving to the needy of, of alms for the poor, right? This is part of the stuff that's, that's built in that God commanded his people to do, to take, have that own personal initiative to do this. And so people would either give directly to the needy or they would give to the synagogue and the synagogue would distribute the needs among them. And so what we see here in, in chapter two isn't like... Um, the religious people doing something above and beyond what's uh, required of them. Like when, when we see them in the streets and, and on, in the temple giving to the needy, this is something that God called all of the people to do. It's just that the people that God, uh, the people in the synagogues, the hypocrites are the ones that are drawing attention to themselves as they do it. Jesus says this, look, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Jesus is saying, look, these people, these hypocrites, the Pharisees, the scribes, when they give, they, they have this whole big song and dance so that people can see what they're doing and just sort of be taken aback by it. Just be impressed. There's all kinds of pomp and fanfare going on. She says they're blowing trumpets. They're shouting in the streets like, hey, look, look at how good I am. Look at what I'm doing to help people out. They're just drawing attention to themselves. They're making it about themselves. They're, they're stepping into the spotlight, stealing God's glory. So here we see that even though they're giving, even though they're contributing to the needs of the needy, what motivates them is greed. It's not a greed for money. It's not a greed for possessions. It's a greed for glory. Right? To have the applause of man, to, to rob God of the spotlight. See, these people, these hypocrites, they give in a way that just all comes back to them. They want the applause. They want to be seen. They want to be praised. And that's exactly what Jesus talks about. Say so they do this so they will be seen, even if you go back to chapter, or verse one, right, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people, why? In order to be seen by them. That's the distinction that Jesus makes between the truly righteous and the hypocrites, they're out for clout. I rhymed it, I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> See, they wanna be praised, they want the applause, they want, they want people to say, wow, I can't, they're such a, such a great guy, can't believe it. I can never be like that. See, that's what they want. They want that recognition. recognition. 
And guess what? God's like, you can have it. Right? You want the praise of men? You can have it. You can get that name on a plaque, building, get named after you. You can get a high five from people who just are really grateful that you're so generous. People might say, wow, you really are great, but eventually that buzz will fade. Eventually that plaque will fall off. Eventually that building will get renamed. Eventually your generosity will be forgotten. And any recognition that you get will not be as nearly as satisfying as you hoped it would be. So Jesus says, yeah, sure, you, you get the praise you want, but guess what? It's all vapor, it fades. You'll be forgotten, and if there's anything that Facebook has taught us, it's this, right? The likes, you put something out, you're hoping to get liked, you're hoping to get applauded. Oh, I only got 35 likes on this? I was really hoping for 55. Like literally, the people who have designed the like button on Facebook have talked about how empty of a cycle this is for us, right? We, we want that validation. We want that applause. And you get it, and it's on to the next post. It's on to the next thing. It's this, this insatiable chase that we have to have the applaud of man. And you literally, it just puts you on a treadmill. Treadmill of chasing after what you can't have because here's the reality. Self-interest robs us from the blessedness of giving. Right, when Jesus says it's better to give than it is to receive, he's talking about there's a blessedness in giving. And if your giving is motivated by self-interest, by self-glory, you are revoking the blessings that are meant to come with generosity. He says, sure, you'll, you'll get the praise of men, right? That's a nice consolation prize, right? Momentary applause. But the reality is that's more of a curse because it closes off the intended reward of generosity. Now listen, here's the reality. Generosity doesn't happen unless there is reward. It doesn't. There's no such thing as altruistic generosity, right? Just giving for the good of giving. We as human beings are complicated and motivated creatures. Everything we do, I mean, if you want to borrow from biology and the scientific world right here, this is what they tell you. We're motivated by our interests. It's not just a matter of being a good person and giving, right? That, that, that's not, that's impossible. We're motivated by something and we'll either be motivated by self-glory or God's glory. But in our giving, see, God doesn't ultimately want our money. God doesn't want us to be generous so he can get a, you know, a percentage of our money or make sure that certain people are cared for. God wants us to be generous so he can have our hearts. That's what he's after. And oftentimes, if maybe we're closed off to generosity, we just don't have that sense of wanting to give Right, and we, and we miss out on the blessing. In other cases, we're giving wrong. We're motivated by self-glory instead of God's glory. Now, for some of us, this is gonna hit home, right? It's easy to see how we either lack this generosity in the first place or the generosity that we do lean into is really a reach for glory, right? It's an attempt to, to grab the spotlight. It's where we want people to think highly of you. Listen, and, and Facebook fundraisers and other virtual content has made this really easy to give and, and be applauded, right? Oh, this person, or GoFundMe, this person gave $300. Oh, wow. 
right? Broadcasting for the world to see. It's because we long for that approval, for long for that applause, and, and underneath it, this is what the scripture calls the fear of man. It's not fear in, in the sense of like, I'm afraid of man, but fear in the sense of I give glory, I, I give this weightiness to what other people think of me more than what I value of what God says about me. And so I give in order to gain people's approval, gain the approval, the opinions of other people instead of what God has to say about me. That's what I care about more is what others think about me than what God says. Now if you're on the other hand where you step back, it's like, well, that's kind of a sad way to live. I'm I'm sure I'm glad that I don't live like that. I'm sure I'm sure glad I'm not trying to steal God's glory, that I don't struggle with self-righteousness and arrogance like that. I'm sure glad that I don't push God out of the spotlight. You, my friend, have just placed yourself among the hypocrites. See, one of the traits of self-righteousness, of of hypocrisy, is that you are so quick to point out the faults and failings of other people, right? Our gospel-centered alarms in our head start going off when somebody says something about drawing attention to themselves, and it's like, I gotta step into that, I gotta confront that, I gotta push back on that. You know, we're so slow to see it when it comes up in our own hearts. When you have that, that arrogance, that swagger. You wanna know why this happens? Like why it's so hard for us to see and identify it when it, when it arises up in our own hearts? It's because our real-time understanding of grace ebbs and flows. Our real-time understanding of grace ebbs and flows. It's, it's inconsistent. So rather than being, you know, we might know the gospel. We might know that Jesus is, is, the gospel is where I get my identity. It's where I get my validation, my approval. But rather than being defined by the gospel at all times, rather than being defined by what Jesus has, been, has done for me, we wrap our identity up in our own accomplishments, our own works, Right, so it's me, like in a sense, it's like I have accomplished this, I've done this, I've done good works. This is, it's, in some way we've hijacked this spotlight so it becomes about me. And here's what will inevitably happen when you do this. One of two things. One, you'll either get proud and greedy for self-glory, right, you'll keep going down this place where, where it's like, yeah, I really am that great. And what happens is you short-circuit kingdom life. You short-circuit the blessedness that Jesus has intended for you to live into as a kingdom person. And inevitably what happens is you miss out on the reward. Here it says, if you're practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. See, the only reward that you get is the approval of your peers, and guess what? It's fading and fleeting. It's not gonna stand. You short-circuit this kingdom life. This veneer of righteousness leaves you empty and longing and chasing after something that you can't have, and you get sucked into this world of religiosity. And it's empty. It's void of the real blessing. So that's the first way. You double down. It is me. I get greedy. Stealing the spotlight. The second way, right, if your identity is wrapped up in your works and what you've done and your accomplishments, you're going to get overwhelmed by your failures. Right? If it all rises and falls on what you've accomplished, 
I don't know about you, I'm a wild failure. Wild. You get ashamed. You become despondent. See, there's no way. There's no way that I actually contribute any good here. Because even in this, even though you're, you're like mourning this, you're, you're still in a self-righteous position where everything rises and falls on your own works, right? You, 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 instead of you know, feeling good about yourself, you feel blitzed, right? You got tackled for a loss. But here's the good news. That in that moment, when you see your own failures, when you see your mishappenings, you are closer to the kingdom of heaven than you ever were before. When you are actually able to see that you're really not that special, right? that you don't really bring a whole lot of good to the table, it's then when grace is nearby. Jesus starts out this whole Sermon on the Mount by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those people who see their emptiness in and of themselves. And here lies the chance for us to now be defined by grace, by what Jesus has done for us instead of our deadly doing. See, if your identity is secure in Jesus, there is no need for you to parade around to try to get the approval of men. If your identity is wrapped up in the righteousness of Jesus, there is no need for you to try to reinvent a new kind of righteousness, to try to bolster this righteousness with your own effort, your own works. Because right here, this righteousness of Jesus is secure and whole. And it's in this righteousness that we receive from Jesus, our heavenly Father sees us. It's not our our failures, it's not our successes that God sees. He sees the righteousness of Christ that's been given to us. And when you have this, you don't need a fanfare, you don't need the applause of men, you don't need them patting you on the back. Jesus says, you are now free to be generous in secret. You don't need that parade. Look at verses three and four. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. See, Jesus is showing the distinction here, the motive shift between the applause of men that that the hypocrites are after and, and the audience of one right, that they aim to please only God, so much so that you're willing to do it in secret, that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing, knowing that God who sees in secret sees it all. This is the motive shift of true righteousness. You want to please your heavenly Father because you love him. That's the reward. That's the reward of it. I don't know if you've been watching um, the golf, whatever that's going on right now. I don't even know what it's being played. But right now, Tiger Woods and his son are playing a round of golf. It's some sort of tournament. And uh, little Charlie is a, a golf stud. Stud, dude. Like, I'm nervous. If I were to play with him, I would be really embarrassed. But he's out here playing and just one of the most spectacular moments, I swear. And it's like a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven right here. Little Charlie swings, puts the ball within like, I don't know, it's probably less than five feet away from the hole. Sinks the eagle putt, and you just see him light up. 
And where does he turn to? Like, he doesn't look to the cameras. Where does he go to? He looks over his shoulder to see his dad who's looking at him that's proud. See, that's a picture of what true righteousness looks like. You did something great. Like, literally, the whole world is applauding this little boy, but he's not worried about the world and what the world thinks about him. He looks over his shoulder to see what his father is thinking of him. See, that's the kind of applause that we're looking for, that, that, that we long for. And it's not just this momentary turn to, to get a pat on the back from our dad, but to have this internal embrace. See, that's the reward that Jesus is pointing us toward. That's what we're longing for. That's the ultimate war- reward that we're all craving. We don't just want to be applauded on Facebook. We don't want our name on a plaque. We want to know what it feels like to be scooped up in our father's arms. To, to have him say, I am pleased with you. I see your goodness. I see your good works that you've done that in fact that he's enabled you to do. That he blazed the trail. See, little Charlie, he wouldn't know how to golf if it weren't for his dad being like literally one of the best golfers to ever live. It's because the father has taught us to live in this way and we get to live into that. that that's what we're longing for, his approval, his embrace. And that's what we receive. See, secret generosity opens us up to receive this eternal embrace. See, it's not just that God sees us like like he notices us, but it's this meaningful looking into, like, I see you, I know you, I love you. But in order for you to receive that kind of embrace from the Father, Jesus had to be turned away at the cross. For you to experience that embrace that you are craving for, that reward of eternity in the Father's arms, Jesus had to be forsaken. And he was forsaken on the cross there because in that moment, he took on our sin, all of our self-righteousness, all of the times that we've tried to steal the spotlight from God and promote our own glory. Jesus paid the price for that. He generously and sacrificially footed the bill for sin-sick and needy people like you and me. And he didn't do it to be praised by the masses. Jesus hung there on the cross and nobody was applauding him. Like, oh, that guy is so generous. Look at how he just lays down his life. No, they were ridiculing him. They were mocking him, spitting on him, making fun of him. Jesus did this not for the approval of man. He definitely didn't get that. He did it to please his Father in heaven. He said, everything that I do I do because the Father tells me to do it. I'm here to accomplish the will of my Father, to please the one who sent me. See, Jesus is the only one who could actually fulfill this, who can be so secure in his righteousness that he doesn't need to look to the approval of men. He doesn't need to hear the applause of of people saying, oh yeah, you're you're real good, real good, because he had the Father's approval the whole time. See, when you see Jesus' generosity towards us, when when you see his sacrificial giving, his his motivations not for self-glory, but to glorify the one who sent him, it transforms you into somebody who imitates the generosity of Jesus. You cannot help, when you experience the generosity of Jesus, it cannot help but turn you into a more generous person, not so you get applauded by man, but so that you would please the one who sent you here in order to put the spotlight 
on Jesus and his glory. See, it, it takes a gospel person, a kingdom person, somebody who understands this to live in this kind of a way. So it's not just a matter of, of optics. It's not just a matter of, of modifying your behavior and being a little bit more generous. It's a whole heart reorienting that can only happen in the gospel. Heavenly Father, we confess how often we do things to gain approval from a man. We confess how often we try to step into the spotlight and draw attention to ourselves, even in, in like the pseudo humble way, right? There's always this, this desire for us to, to rob from you, to be greedy in that regard. We pray, Father, that through the gospel that you would kill our greediness of self-glory. That as you show us Jesus who willingly and gladly laid down his life, giving sacrificially for us, that would open us up to live generously toward one another. Toward you, God, toward our brothers and sisters in the faith, and especially to, to those who are needy in our community, God. Give us eyes and ears to see those people. And give us a, 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 the ability to aim only to please you. And in that would you teach us true, righteous generosity. For the sake of your kingdom and your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.